A reading from the book of Sirach. God sets a father in honor over his children. A mother's authority he confirms over her sons. Whoever honors his father atones for sins and preserves himself from them. When he prays, he is heard. He stores up riches who reveres his mother. Whoever honors his father is gladdened by children, and when he prays, is heard. Whoever reveres his father will live a long life. He who obeys his father brings comfort to his mother. My son, take care of your father when he is old. Grieve him not as long as he lives. Even if his mind fails, be considerate of him. Revile him not all the days of his life. Kindness to a father will not be forgotten. Firmly planted against the debt of your sins, a house raised in justice to you. The word of the Lord. Thanks, Thanks be to God. God. everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. For you shall eat the fruit of your handiwork. Blessed shall you be and favored. Blessed are those who fear the Lord and walk in his ways. Your wife shall be like a fruitful vine in the recesses of your home your children like olive plants around your table. Blessed are those who fear the Lord and walk in his ways. Behold, thus is the man blessed who fears the Lord. The Lord bless you from Zion. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. Blessed are those who fear the Lord and walk in his ways. A reading from the letter of St. Paul to the Colossians. Brothers and sisters, put on as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, heartfelt compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving one another, if one has a grievance against another. As the Lord has forgiven you, so must you also do. And over all these put on love, that is, the bond of perfection. And let the peace of Christ control your hearts, the peace into which you were also called in one body. 
and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, as in all wisdom you teach and admonish one another, singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Wives, be subordinate to your husbands, as is proper in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives, and avoid any bitterness toward them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this is pleasing to the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, so they may not become discouraged. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Gospel according to St. Luke. Glory to you, o Lord. When the days were completed for their purification according to the law of Moses, the parents of Jesus took him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. When they had fulfilled all the prescriptions of the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth. The child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. This morning, the church affords us the opportunity to reflect for a few moments on one of the more fundamental and basic components of not only social life, but of individual life as well. It invites us to spend a few moments contemplating the Holy Family, 
and what the Holy Family has to say to us today. For such a few moments spent is really on something that is timely and timeless. It's timeless because family life goes to the very nature of the human person. Right from the beginning in the book of Genesis, when Adam is there by himself, God says, it is not good for man to be alone. We are by nature social beings. That was certainly driven home with the recent uh, pandemic activity when so many people suffered, especially families, with a kind of isolation and a kind of confinement that restricted so much of our being with and for others. And we began to appreciate as those wrappings were removed, almost like liberating the uh, mummy from the tomb. And we were able to once again return to quote unquote normalcy. And the more so, the more the instances of various destructive behaviors began to decline because people were once again with and for others. And even a family in that first century, millennia removed, speaks to us down the corridors of time and holds up for us a kind of distant mirror that we can gain a reflection on ourselves in the 21st century because it touches on the very nature and the very essence of what it means to be a fully alive human being. And the church fathers were fond of saying, the glory of God is the human person fully alive, fully alive. And the great saint, St. John Henry Newman, often cautioned his students, do not be afraid to die. Be afraid that you've never lived. And so many people find themselves among the walking dead. Oh, they're functioning at some level. But to be fully alive is the very glory of God. How could it be otherwise? We are made in the image and likeness of God. The only creature in creation that from the beginning is filled with the very life breath of God in the Hebrew, Dabar Yahweh, God breathes his very self and the human person comes into existence. And so we look at this distant mirror to get some insight into the development, the promotion, and the nurturing of the human family even in the 21st century. And we look at Mary. Mary, though young, is, uh, can be characterized as a person who knows early on who she is and who she is. And that's very important. 
because that's not merely a question of chronology. It's a question of maturity. And that inner maturity and sensitivity that develops at various stages of life, in varying degrees. When the angel Gabriel appears to her and says, God has selected you to provide God with a human face. You are going to be the mother of the Savior, promised to Abraham millennia ago, reaffirmed in the prophets, and reaffirmed again with King David that the long-awaited Messiah is going to come in the flesh into human history and reveal who the Father is, who is this God that spoke to them from Sinai in a burning bush in a smoking mountain, the God who liberated them from Egypt and through the desert and through all the centuries. But now in the fullness of time, God's delay has not been God's denial. And now in this fullness of time, God is going to enter fully and completely into the human condition and human history and also reveal what it means to be a truly alive, fulfilled human being. A whole new chapter, a whole new book is now to be written about what it means to be human and about the God who brought us into existence. And when the angel tells her that, Luke is, Luke is very straightforward. She's filled with fear, perplexity, anxiety, uncertainty, and she doesn't understand. But who would be? And when he says that to her, he, she says, how can this be? I do not know man. Notice what she does not say. She does not say, why me? Because that centers her. Mary is a wonderfully decentered person. She's not self-absorbed, self-preoccupied. Oh, tell me why I have received this great favor. Am I that good, that wonderful, that virtuous, that prayerful, that holy? Oh, wow, what a block party we can have. Winter schnitzels for everybody, you know? No. She says, how can this be? What she's doing is opening the door to that which is the foundation of her life. Her self-identity a firmness in who she is and who she is. It is through the power of the Holy Spirit that this will take place. Right from the beginning, the Blessed Mother is God-centered. And in that, there is her foundation. There is her strength. There is her direction and the guide of her life. And she doesn't fully understand. But her response to the angel Gabriel 
is magnificent. It's short, and it really, it really can serve as a principle for our lives, certainly for family life. Let it be as you say. That's it. Let it be as you say. What tremendous courage, faith, not, not an intellectual abstract faith, not the faith from a catechism or from the canon law or something like that, a faith for having encountered and knowing the God who is faithful, trustworthy, and the God for whom nothing is impossible. And to show that she's not self-absorbed, self-preoccupied. Immediately after this, because remember when she is told that she will be the mother of God, there's also a first annunciation, isn't there? Elizabeth, your kinswoman, who was thought to be barren, is now six months pregnant. Wow. Another one. But she's barren. Her husband is up in age. He's old. But nothing is impossible with God. And so what does she do? Being self-forgetful and other-remembering, being secure enough to forget herself and not be self-absorbed, self-promoting, self-developing, Luke tells us she leaves in haste, travels through the hill country to be with Elizabeth, her kinswoman. Not only is Mary the woman for God, she's for the woman for others as much as she is for herself. And that is the essence. That's one of the, the grounding principles of family life is that the family members cannot live for themselves alone. Parents make enormous sacrifices, often unseen by children, unappreciated by children, uncelebrated, untalked about. The father who gets up every morning and drives off to work, good weather, bad weather, feeling good, feeling bad, wanting to, not wanting to, in order to provide. The mother who spends her time making a house a home, a loving place, not simply a house. You can have a big house in a rotten home. You can have a house in the poor district. And in that house is enough love to make it a mansion. And Mary, not being self-absorbed and self-preoccupied, stays with Elizabeth. But after three months, she returns back because poor old Joseph's at home. The dishes are piled up. Everything is dirty in the house. We know that. The newspaper's outside. Never been picked up. Garbage is, well, we don't even talk about that. Uh, she remembers. I can't 
need Elizabeth more than Elizabeth needs me because I also have Joseph. And I have to get on with taking care of him and being with him. Oh, and by the way, I have a role to play in salvation history. One of the great corrosive elements of family life is isolated individual existence in which I live for myself alone and I don't care about anybody else. I don't consider anybody else in the family. I am the family. The family revolves around me. One of the great lessons that young people learn in a family is to share, cooperate, and to forget yourself in order to find yourself. The most unhappy people in the world are people who are self-absorbed. People for whom the world must revolve around them. Because there's only room for one in that world. It's themselves. They are the only ones. They're the only ones. And as time passes, they become more isolated, more shrunk, more lonely. But it's the person who is able to forget themselves in order to find themselves that live truly blessed lives. And you learn it in the family. Mary is a wonderful teacher of that, of that blessedness. In dying to yourself, you truly find yourself. In giving yourself, there's more than you will ever imagine you receive. Parents know this, and it's one of the great lessons that can be taught and lived by parents. We turn to St. Joseph. St. Joseph is an interesting biblical figure, isn't he? Because search as you might in the scriptures, we never have a recorded word of Joseph. He never gets a word in edgewise. Or maybe it's his wisdom, he doesn't talk. You know, he could have been a member of the mafia. When they arrest you, don't say anything. You don't know anybody or anything. He never says anything. The eloquence of Joseph is in his actions. He is so sensitive, he's so alert, and so attuned that three times the angel appears to him. Nobody's there, appears to him in a dream. There's no celebration. There's no crowd, there's no great event. He's sleeping. And when he finds out about Mary, he plans on divorcing her quietly. But the angel appears and says, do not be afraid, take her into your house, for this is part of God's plan, and she will become pregnant through the Holy Spirit. And Luke tells us, he took her into his home. Notice how direct these things are. There's not a whole lot of qualification, massaging. There's no public relations firm there. He took her into his home. 
When Jesus is born, Herod decides to kill all the newborn males. And in a dream, in a dream, the angel comes, informs Joseph, take the family into Egypt, for Herod has murderous intent. And what does he do? He immediately gets up and takes them into Egypt. And when it's safe, again informed by an angel in a dream, you can go back, Herod's dead, he returns. Fathers often serve and care and nurture in ways very different than the mother. It may be a silent presence, but it's the silence of a kind of eloquence that can only be picked up by those who have a sensitivity for that kind of strength. And that's difficult today, because today we live amidst spectaculars, super bowls, super fries, super meals. We have all kinds of pyrotechnics. People can't wait for tonight to start shooting all over the place. And all of these kinds of things has to be big and splashly and loud and spectacular. And often God comes to us on cat paws, very silent, very below the radar, subliminally. And we have to have that kind of antenna that picks that up. And often, we never know the sacrifice that mother and certainly father makes to hold a family together, to anticipate the dangers, the valleys, the dark valleys. We never know that. And fathers can go through a great deal of their being fathers without that recognition, except for the belief and the satisfaction that they have cared for their family. It is not always the, it's not always the loud and the flashing in an age in which we're used to that. We say, well, the wheel that squeaks the loudest gets the oil Yes, but it's also the first one replaced. And learn to speak softly so you can speak longer. A big mouth is like a Texas oil barrel that's empty. It makes a lot of noise because there's nothing in it. And the ability to simply shout and call attention to be spectacular is often what St. Paul said, huh? A noisy gong and a clanging cymbal. Shakespeare, filled with sound and fury and signifying nothing. It is the quiet daily commitment. The dial silent daily commitment that's necessary 
if you're a student and you hope to make something of yourself other than to take up space in the classroom. No, nobody sees you studying and doing your work. Nobody sees you not going to the show or to the mall or to the latest concert because you have a big test or a big interview or a big project that needs to be done. Nobody sees that, nobody applauds, nobody stands up to gee, that's wonderful, terrific, great. And you have others who stand and say, well, how did she do that? How did he do that? It was done off camera. And blessed are the young people in homes <coughs> where they learn to live with the eloquence of a silence, the grandeur of humility, and the greatness of the small and the seemingly insignificant. You're very blessed if you have that sensitivity. And that can be nurtured inside a family. And finally, we come to Jesus. <coughs> By the time Jesus reaches 12, he goes on a trip with Joseph and Mary. And they make their way to Bethlehem because it happens to be the yearly uh, Passover. And there's a large caravan. People traveled in caravans, walking caravans. Ride an animal, but that kind of thing. There was no Uber or all these other, Uber, isn't it? Uber, Uber, whatever it is. Something like that, probably tweeting or whatever they do on the way. But anyway, taking selfies, God forbid. Okay. So you have those things. And it's time to go home. And Joseph and Mary believe that Jesus, 12 years old, is running around somewhere in the caravan. And when they stop and they look for him, uh, he's an MIA, he's missing in action. So they have to go back to Jerusalem, and they do. And when they go back to Jerusalem, they go back and they're looking all around, they can't find him. They're looking for him for three days, they can't find him. Finally, they stumble on him in the temple, and he's there with all the intellectuals, the scholars of the law, the Pharisees, the teachers, the scribes. And Jesus is banting back and forth with him with questions and answers and more questions and more questions. And Luke tells us they were amazed at his questions and answers. Mary is not interested in his report card. Mary, in frustration, goes over and says, son, why have you done this to us? We have been looking for you. Joseph, don't worry, says nothing. He's outside with the donkeys or something like that. And Jesus says, why are you looking for me? Don't you know I must be in my father's house doing his business? And Luke tells us, Mary and Joseph didn't understand still. Notice, they don't have this perfect understanding. But they go ahead and just keep going forward with life. So much of our life is stopped by the minutia, the nonsense of life. How many relationships are messed up over some stupid thing? 
That means absolutely nothing. We get lost in all of these little things. And we miss going forward and developing and growing. And Luke tells us at the end, he says, and Jesus went down with them home, was obedient and lived under them, and they grew in maturity, age, grace and wisdom before God and men. Jesus went down and was obedient to them. He didn't say, well, don't you know who I am? You should know, Mary. I'm the son of God, you know. I'm not answerable. You should be answering to me. No. He goes down and under them he is obedient. But you see, obedience is not the enemy of freedom. You can't have freedom without obedience. Because if you take the Latin word obedience, it means to listen. Notice, please, I didn't say it means to hear. Hear is simply a physiological kind of thing. We all hear a lot of things. We listen to very few. Listening is an act of the heart. It's an act of the whole consciousness. It's not looking at your watch every two seconds. It's focus. And Jesus goes down and listens to them and grows in those. Only mature, truly free people can be obedient. Because you see, if you're not a mature, obedient person, you become a slave to all of your passions and desires and the things of the moment. And you become a slave to every fad and fashion that society waves in front of you like a trinket on a float at Mardi Gras. Throw it to me, throw it to me. But don't, oh, I missed it. Don't worry, there's another float coming. And that's what happens. And so your life becomes simply trying to grab trinkets from passing floats. Are you following the latest trend, the latest style, the latest in-group? But you're not free. You're enslaved, and it's a deeper form of slavery because it's internal and it's very controlling. We see in the Holy Family those qualities and those behaviors that are timely and timeless as we face our own challenges in family life in the 21st century. But the lessons that they offer us to consider and to ponder this morning, they're perennial, they're timeless. For you see, we are called to be a holy family. Because it is the family in its relationship to God, in its care and love for one another, that redeems, that redeems the single family who every day lives, lives knowing who it is and who they belong ultimately to. We have many 
And I'm going to stop at this, don't worry. But we have many young children here, various stages. Little ones just went off to their lesson. And we have those who are in the web of time, those who are yet to appear. And the question is, what kind of society and world do we want to leave them? Isaac Newton, a great mathematician, once said, if it is that I see further than other men, it's because I stand on the shoulders of giants. Those who come after us stand on our shoulders, whether we are midgets or giants. Let those who are developing, those who are in the web of time, stand on the shoulders of we, and may we be giants, so that they may see further and they will praise God, and they will bless us and be grateful to us into eternity. May God bless you and your families, both now and forever. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen.